You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, September 1st. I'm Portia Cook. And I'm Kira McKinley. And you're tuned into KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Kira McKinley goes over campus news with updates on CSU's research on nitrous oxide gas. Then Portia covers local news with updates on a major local drug bust. After that, Portia goes over this weekend's Tour de Fa and her entertainment news update. Kira McKinley then sits down with members of Hold Fast to talk about the history of their band. McKinley reports on environmental news with updates on flooding in Pakistan. Then an episode of Global Connections that discusses climate change and social justice. After that, I go over national news with updates on the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. Then stay tuned as Eliza Drotar goes over updates in CSU sports, including details on CSU women's volleyball. And to conclude today's show, I take a look at what Fort Collins has in store for the rest of this week's weather. Let's move right into campus and local news. This is Kira McKinley reporting your campus news for Thursday, September 1st. Nitrous oxide gas is a greenhouse gas that is contributing to the depletion of the ozone layer. Humans release this gas through various agricultural methods. Colorado State University has now teamed up with ARS to research how much nitrous oxide the agriculture industry is putting out. This study led by CSU and others recently has shown that the U.S. has higher nitrous oxide levels than originally thought. The Paris Climate Agreement aims to limit temperature rising by two degrees. And to keep with this goal, studies like this one being held at CSU aim to make sure the U.S. knows what problems they are facing and what steps they can take. On Tuesday, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency hosted an event at CSU to raise awareness about the ever-growing mental health crisis seen throughout the country and especially the increase they are seeing within veterans. One in five college students in the United States have been diagnosed with depression, while those who have served in the military are 15% more likely to be diagnosed with depression than this already high margin of people. This event, the DARPA, held aimed to spread awareness about the mental health crisis seen in veterans. Thank you for listening to my CSU Campus News updates. I'm Kira McKinley, and you're listening to 90.5 ACSU. Here's Portia Cook with your local news updates. I'm Portia Cook reporting your local news. The Northern Colorado Drug Task Force is progressing in its efforts to combat the distribution and use of fentanyl in Larimer County and surrounding communities. According to the Northern Colorado Drug Task Force media press release, on the morning of August 30th, a search warrant was served in the 1300 block of Kirkwood Drive in Fort Collins. During the search, investigators recovered several hundred suspected fentanyl pills, two handguns, several thousands of dollars in cash, and felony-level amounts of suspected methamphetamine. As a result, Charlotte Elizabeth Haywood of Fort Collins was arrested and booked into the Larimer County Jail on allegations including unlawful distribution of fentanyl, unlawful possession of methamphetamine with the intent to distribute, special offender controlled substance, and possession of drug paraphernalia, according to the Larimer County Jail information website. According to Larimer County officials, these charges are, quote, merely an accusation and the defendant is presumed innocent until and unless proven guilty, end quote. Due to the high level of West Nile-infected Colix mosquitoes, the city of Fort Collins will spray for mosquitoes in and around South Fort Collins. According to the city of Fort Collins website, spraying will be done by fogging trucks on September 1st and again on September 6th. Spraying on both days will begin at around 8 o'clock p.m. each night and will end around 2 a.m. the following morning. Spraying will take place in areas bordered by Taft Hill Road, Drake Road, Ziegler Road, and Harmony Road. However, Rigdon Farms and Dakota Ridge are excluded from spraying. The city has contracted with Vector Disease Control International to conduct the mosquito surveillance and mitigation. Vector Disease Control International will administer a permethrin-based spray known as Aquaperm-X. 
According to the product specimen label provided by the city of Fort Collins, AquaPermX is used to control adult mosquitoes, including organophosphate-resistant mosquitoes, biting and non-biting midges, and black flies. The AquaPerm specimen label precautionary statement states the product is harmful to humans and domestic animals, saying, quote, harmful if swallowed, harmful if absorbed through the skin, avoid contact with skin, eyes, or clothing, wear long sleeve shirts, long pants, shoes, socks, and chemical-resistant gloves. Prolonged or frequently repeated skin contact may cause allergic reaction in some individuals, end quote. To minimize pesticide exposure, the city of Fort Collins is advising residents to stay indoors, bring pets indoors, keep all doors and windows closed for 30 to 60 minutes after spraying, and cover organic gardens, pond, and water features with a sheet or tarp. According to the city of Fort Collins website, the decision to spray for mosquitoes comes from a recommendation made by the Larimer County Department of Health and Environment in accordance with the city's West Nile virus management policy. The recommendation to spray for mosquitoes are based on mosquito trap results that have a vector index level of 0.75 or higher. Additional information on the upcoming mosquito spray, including a detailed spray area map and how to follow the fogging truck's progress online in real time, can be found on the City of Fort Collins' website at fcgov.com slash westnile. The Larimer County Sheriff's Office needs your help in identifying an aggravated animal abuse suspect. According to a Larimer County Sheriff's Office press release, on the night of August 29th between 10.30 p.m. and 11.10 p.m., a man entered a fenced yard off of 6th Street near the McDonald's in Wellington. The man attacked both dogs, seriously injuring one and killing the other. The seriously injured but surviving dog is expected to recover. The Larimer County Sheriff's Office said the suspect is described as a white adult male between 5'8 and 6'2 in height who was wearing a dark-colored t-shirt and light-colored pants. The suspect is believed to be driving a motorcycle with Arkansas license plate. Anyone with information regarding this incident is asked to call Investigator Johnson at 970-498-5509. That's all for your local news. I'm Portia Cook, and I'll be right back with your entertainment news after the break. Hey, this is DJ Asher. And this is DJ Dallas. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook reporting your entertainment news. Get out your bikes and costumes because Tour de Fat is back. Tour de Fat takes place this Saturday, September 3rd. The event will kick off with a bike parade from 9.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., followed by entertainment at New Belgium Brewery off Linden Street in North Fort Collins. The bike parade begins on the corner of Mountain and turns east at Fishback Avenue with the parade looping until 11.30 a.m. Entertainment at the brewery begins at 11 a.m. and ends at 6.30 p.m. with doors closing at 8 p.m. 
According to the new Belgium brewery, live entertainment will include a fashion show, a slow ride challenge, a dance contest, live music performances, including a performance by Brothers of Brass Band, who was featured on Tuesday's Rocky Mountain Review, and more. Additional main stage performances include Black Joe Lewis and the Honey Bears and Violet Pilot. Tour de Fat is a family-friendly event offering a variety of food and non-alcoholic drinks, and a family zone will welcome families with children of all ages. According to the New Belgium website, because of the amount of people and heat, pets, including dogs, are not allowed. For those who will be experiencing Tour de Fat for the first time, New Belgium Brewery recommends you do these top five things at Tour de Fat, saying, quote, grab your bike, get your friends, put on a costume, and ride your bike in the parade. Enjoy beer while watching the clowns, carnies, and comedians, and music on the main stage. Test your skills in the slow ride contest, and dance, dance, dance. Your moves could be good enough to win a bike, end quote. The Comedy Four is hosting Laugh After Dark with Jaws and Sharp and featured guest Patrick Richardson. Laugh After Dark will kick off this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. and doors will open at 6.30 p.m. According to her website, Sharp is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, and digital content creator whose comedy is characterized by an honest and unedited look at sex, relationship, life, and even her own body. Outside of stand-up, you can catch Sharp spending her days creating beauty, mental health, cannabis, and comedy content for TikTok or on the Weed Maps original series Tumbleweeds on Vice TV and Vice Streaming. The Comedy Fort will also host comedian, writer, and producer Mike Fiona. Fiona will perform Friday, September 2nd and Saturday, September 3rd. Doors will open at 6.30 p.m. with both shows starting at 7 p.m. Fiona is best known for writing and producing True TVs and Practical Jokers. He also tours with the guys of Impractical Jokers doing their national live show. Fiona is also the co-host of There Comes a Time podcast. Tickets and additional information for both shows can be found on the Comedy Fort website at ComedyFort.com. Bohemian Nights Thursday Nights Live presents Salis Atis. Salis Atis will kick off his performance this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. on the Mage Stage in the Square in Old Town Fort Collins. According to his website, Atis is a singer-songwriter born in Akragana who grew up exposed to the sounds of high-life music. Through this exposure, Atis created his own style of music— which is a unique blend of reggae, West African highlife, and American pop music. Today, his music combines English and West African lyrics for a bright and captivating sound. That's all for your entertainment news. I'm Portia Cook, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. Now, an interview with Kira McKinley and band members of Hold Fast. Hi, this is Kira McKinley, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Today in the studio, we have Charlie and Tommy from the band Hold Fast. How did you guys each get into music? Oh, man. Well, my mom is like a classical pianist. And so like growing up, uh, me and my three sisters all did piano lessons. And that was kind of like my first introduction to like playing some kind of instrument. Yeah, I actually yeah. had piano lessons too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, we had like big recitals in our in our living room with like the eight of us. Yeah. But that was kind of like the start of it. And then ever since then, like I was saying earlier, we... Uh, you know, we grew up next door to one another, and uh, Charlie had been learning drums, and he uh, showed me a couple things, and then uh, Mike picked up a guitar and started learning guitar, and then uh, the band was born. <laughs> nice, so that's how it started. About how young were you guys when that started? Um, I think I was like in fifth grade or sixth grade, it's kind of like when we started jamming in our basement. Okay. I was like 10 or 11. Yeah, like one of our first gigs was like this middle school luau event that we had and my English teacher just loved us and she called us the Charlie Maddox band. <laughs> and, and Tom couldn't even see over the drums. At the yeah. 
How would you guys describe the dynamic of being in a band with your brothers? It's <sighs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a healthy reminder to know that like we're family first, and then the band second. Like we have to, you know, kind of put our relationship first over like an idea or a music, you know, just like some new song idea or something. Totally. So that's I think that's kind of like um, kept us together, and we, you know, we we follow a lot of bands that are like family, like uh, like U two. I mean, they're not like blood related but like you know bands that kind of have that similar mentality like um it's like a you know it's like we're all in this together and we're better together than yeah than separate and totally yeah totally yeah well and then why are you guys passionate about making music why are you doing this we don't really like doing it no, <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding um i mean i don't know charlie charlie needs to write songs i feel like <laughs> um and like out of that we just are so fortunate and blessed to be able to like you know be in a family but also in a band um and it's pretty intense yeah. but also like you know really uh you know there's a lot of like passion that comes with that you know yeah um, i think growing up we had like enough like experiences where we saw like music really connecting and touching like you know, people that were close to us, like our our uncles had a band um, called Payin, and they were, um, you know, Fort Collins, like Rays, and we're doing the same thing we were doing, and mm. and we just saw like their music really touch like our dads and just people in our family, and our dads had a band in <laughs> yeah. college, and you know they they just raised us on like you know Christian rock and like all these different um, songs and bands that they loved growing mm. up and. We were like, I don't know, yeah, I guess that's like where we saw having the most impact versus getting a computer science degree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. So you write all the music. So, well, I used to, and then mm -hmm. um, we met this guy um, named Tasso Smith who works at this sync licensing company um, called Audio Network, mm -hmm. and uh, he loved some of our demos and um, wanted to really work with us, and so we signed a deal to um, make our new album called Movies with them. And uh, he really encouraged us to like all contribute and try new things. And Tommy has really been, you know, songwriting and and uh, playing guitar and singing more in the last two years. So I'd say it's all three of us now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And then kind of going back to just like, you guys have an ever growing platform now at this point. And then yeah. how are you going to use that? Is there anything that you guys like care about or? Man, well, I think like what we see just playing live shows is just, you know, people having a chance to let loose and just like see smiles in the crowd is just mm. something really special. And, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, just uh, spreading that light through our music, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just, like, bought tickets to, like, a Matt Mason concert, and we're going to see The Killers this Wednesday, and it's just, yeah. like, there's really nothing better than just going to a concert and being around everybody who loves the same music that you yeah. love, you know? It's just, like, all that same shared experience is so, like, impactful. Yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> and then, kind of going back to when you guys were younger you were starting off what's the first song or like genre of music that you remember loving and how has that like impacted your music now yeah um i would definitely say uh one was our um, uncle's band pan um but then also um arcade fire uh, was oh, yeah. like the first kind of like indie band aside from like you know u2 and 
Coldplay, oh, the big, classics that are stadium are, fans, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like Arcade Fire, I remember being like a very heavy influence on us um, early on in the band. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I don't know. I feel like uh, it was a weird like transition from like just listening to like Christian music from my parents, mm. and then like at some point I was like, you know conscious and like awake and then i was like i want to listen to something else <laughs> and then we started getting to like you know all these british bands at mm. one point after the bottleman yeah um circle waves yeah all these like kind of you know some of them are still pretty small some, some pretty big but just like these modern kind of like indie rock bands from the uk that we mm. really liked yeah and that kind of really shaped the first album and then i guess the movies album that we put out half a year ago it's more like I was getting into like Bruce Springsteen and our mm. producer Chris Beeble um, really loves Thrice and they're kind of like a heavier band and so we kind of got into them and I feel like some of those things those artists like seep through some of our new songs totally yeah but and you two rattle and hum yeah yeah that was and Mike heavy. loves Muse you love Muse yeah uh, so it's just like a nice mix of all sorts of things yeah oh, so, that's yeah. super cool and then like your music now how would you describe it without using like traditional terminology like mm. genre interesting mm -hmm. hmm. like like the movies album yeah okay yeah. we wanted to call it movies because like each song is like its own story mm -hmm. and it, um like it's all cohesive and in the sense of like it's us and it's like our story but like there are very different um messages in each song mm. like my ideal artwork was like some kind of like you know seven different colors in it you know like each one needs to be represented equally yeah. but we didn't end up doing that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. i don't know yeah i mean honestly yeah that's a good way of saying it just like you know the title track is movies and yeah yeah i just agree with what charlie said it's just like yeah each each song has its own story that's like wish we could shine a spotlight on all of them you know? yeah <laughs> like lyrically and then musically too like one's like really heavy like uh you know kind of a heavy rock mm -hmm. just like riff like i'll try and we got and then yeah brother like, brother's probably the mo like most populous song we've ever written more like you is i don't know kind of like when i play more like you i think of like 21 pilots and thrice and just this weird mix of like <laughs> new modern bands totally but and next up, we will be listening to one of Holdfast's songs, Brother. I needed a friend to help me get by. You helped me get through and made it all right. You were the best at seeing both sides. You called me out for all my life. But I have lost, I've lost my way again I've lost my way again Yeah. 
another day Give it another day And I will change Brother Carry me all the way Carry me all the way And again, that song was Brother by Holdfast. And guys, what do you think inspired you to make that song? Brother, okay, yeah, that was the last song we uh, we wrote before going into the studio, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This was like the, like we had come up with, uh, you know, like eight or nine tracks already. And then um, our a and guy at Audio Network was like, all right. Write one more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we had like probably four days before we went into the studio. Mm-hmm. And we were like, really? We need to write one more demo? <laughs> like, it was kind of this weird process where, like, this is the first time we'd worked with a label and we needed to, like, get all of our songs, like, greenlit by them. And mm-hmm. so we had to make these really polished, like, demos in our own house before <laughs> we went into the actual studio. And so that was like a whole thing, and that probably took like seven or eight months. Dude, that was so time-consuming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we and that was like right in the middle of COVID too, when it was like super. You know, everyone was very paranoid, and so like we literally had like drums set up outside of my house, and Tom would like <laughs> be outside, like in the backyard. You know, and I would like see him through a window and be like, "Okay, yeah, you play that again." You know, it's like, Don't touch me. yeah, it's like. Yeah, and I guess Brother was just um, kind of the final stamp in the project, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we had, like, two days to, like, write something. and We kind of, <laughs> we kind of finished it. it in the studio, I remember. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. we had really, like, you know, banged it out, um, like, with that demo really quick, just, like, a couple days before. Yeah, all the ideas were there. The melodies were there. Right. It was, like, kind of redressing the whole scene of the song with Chris, um, He's really great at like just reimagining our songs in like a new way that mm-hmm. doesn't completely rewrite it. Um, just yeah. makes it better. Yeah. And that's what we did with him. He kind of like had this cool like drum loop in the intro mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. added some cool synths and yeah. made it really nice and yeah. What yeah. does that song mean to you guys? Yeah, I guess brother was like something that I I, I never really, you know had a brother growing up but like just um being around mike and tom 24 7 they they are my brothers um so it's just like um writing a song about us for the first time was pretty um i don't know appealing just like i never we never really had a song about you know us and our relationship uh, as brothers and i feel like this song really um is like 
is a good um, just I don't know picture of of our relationship. Totally. Just always making each other better and and better people and just um, keeping each other accountable. Yeah. Just through the ups and downs. Yeah. Do you think there was like a time when you like felt like you kept each other accountable that like kind of inspired this song more? Mm, I mean. I think, like, our first album has a lot of those, like, themes of, like, just, like, the stuff that we were kind of, like, mm-hmm. like individually kind of going through, you know, and then um, to kind of wrap it all together um, with, you know, this uh, song, Brother, um, was just, like, a really, a, you know, a really good, like, tipping point moment um, to stumble into. Very you know? nice. Yeah. yeah. And then I know you mentioned before, like, your recent album, Movies, um, you said it was, like, different stories within itself yeah what inspired that then and what are those stories yeah well i think the uh first album we made was kind of about the relationships we were going through like um just in college and high school and just like um this whole idea of like you know stay and fight was the title of the album and it's just like kind of like our childhood um you know growing into adults and then i guess movies was like moving out um i moved out of my childhood house um where you still live and um (laughs) so that was kind of a big change for all of us and a lot of songs came out of that and i guess uh, yeah hometown is just about windsor my hometown and um i don't know um some of the stuff too is like not very it's not like um like direct like uh i guess i'll try is more biblical and more like you is kind of a biblical song mm-hmm. um brothers you know very obvious what brothers about <laughs> yeah um <laughs> movies in my head that one's kind of like a breakup song but not <laughs> yeah <laughs> it can kind of be taken many ways yeah. but uh, find yeah. a way that one was uh i remember writing that when we were driving home from california we uh just met Tasso and like um this idea of working with audio network was like actually a thing and we were super excited and we were driving back home from that and it was just writing that while like looking out at like you know like the Utah kind of landscape and kind of wanted to write like a kind of western feeling rock song and yeah we had a lot of fun like making those demos afterward you know like after that meeting with audio network we're like all right we gotta do this um and just like how like we just do whatever the heck we wanted to like it's just charlie and me like in his bedroom just like banging on like pots and pans for certain like percussive stuff you know and just like just yeah letting the creativity fly was a lot of fun well i bet you guys are really excited to play this on your new tour are you what are you most like looking forward to going into that tour Oh. oh man well yeah seeing new cities is what i'm looking forward yeah. to you know just like yep. I, I really haven't traveled too much um so i'm really excited to just yeah you know explore new things and yeah we did like five shows in california two months ago and so that was kind of our first taste of like tour life and so this is like kind of a behemoth of a tour so yeah we're excited to just kind of live on the road and kind of see what what it's like yeah and, <laughs> yeah we're we're playing um we're opening for this UK band so it's a little different than our last tour where we had like an hour to play every day and now we're probably going to be playing like 30 minute sets so we're c- trying to pick and choose like which songs we're going to be playing but it'll be fun yeah 
guys have talked a lot about like UK bands. Is there a yeah. reason why, or did you just kind of like naturally gravitate towards that type of music? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I feel like the UK is very rock and roll, you know? <laughs> um, and naturally, I feel like we just kind of lean into that. Yeah. Um, I guess it's like, I guess our first album, we were really like idolizing those bands. And so when you listen to it, it's kind of this like punk raw like in indie rock sound that like kind of hear on like you know bands like catfish the 1975 mm. um circle waves the amazons mm-hmm. and then like but like you know our dads always listen to like tom petty and all these american artists that we still love so yeah. i guess it's kind of a nice mix yeah. but we'd love to tour the uk one day yeah. <laughs> cool. And then kind of like you guys have done some touring before, you've been making music for a bit. What do you think is like one of the biggest things that you've learned so far in the process? Hmm. Just that everything takes a very long time. <laughs> yeah, patience. <laughs> patience. Yeah. And like consistency is just yeah, probably the hardest, but it's also very rewarding when we yeah. get to I think build recently I've I've just like learned that um, it's hard to just make music about the music with all the noise out there right now. Like, I don't know, we're so caught up in like, well, can we get this label's attention? Can we, you know, just get to this many followers on Instagram and this many listeners? And I don't know, that's the, when the special moment happens in our songs and playing live is when we just care about the music and playing together. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to hard to to keep that close and just remember that but yeah. yeah and then would you guys have like any advice for new musicians kind of entering this field at this point yeah play a lot of gigs <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the best advice yeah. i can think of yeah. <laughs> yeah. well that's super right, yeah. cool we wish you guys great luck on your next tour and thank, thank you. you so much for coming in today thank you yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks for, for having, having us, us. Bike Co-op is an organization whose mission is to build community through bicycling. They provide the tools and expertise to help fix up any bike, new or old. Hours of operation are Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, 2 to 5 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. For more information, check out their Facebook page, Fort Collins Bike Co-op, or email info at fcbikecoop.org. In environmental news... 
Many places around the world are seeing extreme droughts and flooding. Pakistan is currently seeing extreme flooding that has already killed 1,000 people and injured 1,600 people as well, according to the BBC. Pakistan's climate minister said in a BBC article that more than a third of the country has been submerged by the heaviest monsoon rains recorded in over a decade. In other environmental news... A study released on Monday found that Greenland's melting ice sheets will raise global sea levels by 10.6 inches, which is already much more than previously anticipated, according to the NPR. NPR explains that this is because of something called zombie ice, which is ice that is thought of as doomed and will inevitably melt. The co-author of the article said to NPR, The ice has been coincide to the ocean, regardless of what climate emissions scenario we take now. Thank you for listening to my environmental news updates. And now, an episode of Global Connections, where they speak about climate change and social justice. Welcome, world travelers, to Global Connections. We're your hosts, DJ Cassie Local. And I'm DJ Jada J Global. As your hosts, we're passionate in bringing you, no matter where you are, into the know of topics that relate to international social justice and equity to help bridge ourselves with the struggles of others. In this episode, we'll dig into the intricacies of a world that now faces both a climate crisis and a crisis of accountability. For who or what will help solve it and how. We'll see where the idea of just transitions paints its way through that process to help our world adapt to the impacts of climate change. course, we need an expert to help guide us through this process, so I'd like to take some time to introduce one of my professors, Dr. Dimitri Stevis, a professor of Colorado State University who works in the political science department. Dr. Stevis, welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here. Dr. Stevis teaches courses relating to international relations, the global political economy, and green political economies alongside other topics. His research examines the intersections of how our environment and the global economy interact with social power, justice, and both local and global dynamics. Just Transitions has been his focus for over a decade, and this all involves everything from how we can work to be more economically and socially equitable to moving beyond the production of harmful fuels. So essentially, we definitely brought the right person here for the job. I actually had the opportunity to take class with Dr. Dimitris this past semester where we studied globalization justice and sustainability. And I really saw the importance of creating systems that allow us to live and work sustainably and equitably in the community and the world around us. So I'm really excited to get into this topic with you. So I think to really understand why Just Transitions is so important, we should frame some context around what's happened recently in our world in relation to climate. So in 2017, the U.S. gave notice that it was leaving the Paris Accords. The Paris Accords was meant to help curb greenhouse gas emissions and keep countries responsible and accountable. Uh, This has also continued a long process of the Trump administration rescinding or weakening a lot of environmental protection laws in favor of resource accessibility for certain industries, especially the fossil fuel industry. The EU, just within this last month, announced that by 2050 it wants to try and curb uh, any greenhouse gas emissions down to zero percent, but other European countries have an issue with the feasibility of that and whether or not that will be possible. Intense weather patterns have also increased, and the Australian wildfires are obviously being tied to this influence of climate change. So, in essence, our world really isn't in that great of a shape. 
If you had to describe it in one word, what would that be for you, Dr. Stevens? Just transition says that there has to be a transition and that that transition has to be just rather than unjust. Transitions take all kinds of shapes. It could be due to artificial intelligence. It could be through, due, due to a war. However, contemporarily in the last 30 years, the term just transition has been associated with the environment. And it started uh, as a very explicit strategy uh, by the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union in Denver, Colorado. And this is an interesting observation because uh, the state of Colorado uh, last year is the first state in the union to also adopt a just transition policy. So essentially, it doesn't just see climate policy as being like this airy, overarching thing that people aren't really familiar with, but ends up impacting them anyway. And then instead places people within a holistic social justice framework alongside the environment. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's I think the just transition associated with the environment is probably one of the most significant fusions of nature and society uh, in the sense that it recognizes that an environmental transition or climate transition has to take place and that it has to be just. And that is very, very important because it's one thing to include justice in crafting a particular policy and another thing to include it afterwards. It's very, very difficult to include things afterwards. And one example of how difficult it is to include things afterwards are perhaps our uh, airports. All the security lines we go through, they were added after 9-11, and they are really very problematic and very slow and just don't work very well. So if you really mean to include justice or anything else in a particular policy, it is desirable to do it in crafting the policy and not wait and see. There are four periods in the evolution of the just transition concept and strategy and I will briefly just discuss them. The first period is the 1970s and 1980s, where environmental legislation in the United States called for doing away with toxics and chemicals and other hazardous practices. A lot of unions, a lot of communities, a lot of businesses, a lot of government were opposed to that, but there were some uh, visionary uh, environmentalists and union leaders who said, well, we are part of the problem, and we do need to transition from toxics and chemicals, but we should do it in an equitable way. At the time, in the 70s, they called it the GI Bill for workers, like the GI Bill that helped all those soldiers, all those veterans adjust to life after World War II. Uh, during the 1980s, when the Superfund policy was adopted to clean up toxics and mediate uh, places that have suffered from mining or other uh, nuclear explosions and so on, uh, they called it the Superfund for workers. Uh, Superfund is a major policy. It has uh, already cost more than a trillion dollars. It's not a small policy. In the 1990s, as the environmental justice movement was emerging, the term just transition was first used in 1995. Uh, and it was promoted by the oil, chemical, and atomic workers and a number of environmental justice organizations, including indigenous, Asian-American organizations, and other frontline communities. And the two constituencies, workers, communities, and uh, advocates of community and environmental justice worked very hard to find common ground. There was a lot of discussion of just transition in the United States and Canada in the late 1990s, but after 2001, in response to opposition by certain uh, mining unions and corporations, and also because of the nationalism that followed 9-11, uh, a just transition disappeared in the U.S., but it was picked up, that's a second major period, it was picked up by the global union organizations, which are small organizations that bring together unions from around the world, but also by national unions that were environmentalists, trade unions, Congress in England, 
as uh, the Commission of Obreros in Spain, unions in Australia, and they managed to nurture the concept, uh, particularly in relationship to climate negotiations that were becoming more and more prominent. For the first decade of, the, of the, this millennium and all the way up to 2013, 2014, the only people that would use the concept of just transition and promote it would be mostly unions, not even environmentalists. But in 2013, 2014, climate justice activists uh, started adopting the language and trying to find a, con a connection. In 2015, it was uh, included in the preamble of the Paris Agreement. It was a major symbolic step. That same year, the International Labour Organization adopted uh, guidelines for just transition. And in the last five years, what we have seen is a proliferation of mm -hmm. just transition proposals and, and policies. And that's the important part. When you were going through the history of just transitions, you mentioned the GI Bill and being in instrumental in kind of laying the foundation for where how we interpret or understand just transitions today. I think what's also important to talk about who was kept out from the GI Bill, communities that specifically black soldiers um, that were once promised the GI Bill and those um, benefits did not receive them. And so how does Just Transition uh, center communities and uh, specifically these marginalized individuals who haven't had their voices heard? Yeah, that's, that's a very important point. In my work and the work of others, uh, one of our goals is to really be able to analyze Just Transition in a way that does not create illusions of inclusion and justice. So I think it's very important to ask who is included, including nature, and ask that question very thoroughly rather than just be satisfied with the usual suspects. And the second thing, in fact, everybody, including nature, is included, is that in a just way, because inclusion doesn't guarantee justice. You may be included in a way that makes you a, a supplicant, you're not really an active participant, you're not entitled to your rights, or you can be included in a way that makes you into an agent, into somebody who participates. So I think it's very important for us to keep asking the question, of who is included and how are they included. Because you're absolutely Definitely. right that quite frequently very good policies have serious, serious gaps mm. and create invisible populations. Yeah. So I, kind of tying into that too, what role does the economy play for people who are already marginalized, for people who whose job security is already fragile? Where does just transitions in the economy come into play in keeping them not just protected from policies that might have negative impacts on them that are not foreseen, but helping them transition to an industry that can really support them as people? That's a very important question because, and that also speaks to trying to understand what is the content of a particular just transition policy, we have to ask the question. So at a very, very minimal level, it might be that a particular plant, a particular mine, a particular activity it gets discontinued and some funds are made available to people and communities to help them sort of get through the most difficult moments. That's certainly not the vision of just transition that the originators had. The originators have a vision whereby there will be a just transition fund similar to social security to create a social safety network that would allow communities and people to be kept whole, that would allow them to get retrained, or allow them to retire, or allow them to move if they, if they so desire. So it was a much more comprehensive and holistic approach. Training alone is not enough. Now, there's a very important question. You know, one has to talk about the economy that we were leaving behind, the people left behind, the 
uh, coal miners or perhaps uh, the oil uh, workers or uh, other in people in the toxics. And we definitely need to deal with those particular people. We need to provide uh, a safety network uh, that is comprehensive and cohesive. And the current coronavirus crisis points out to what is a comprehensive safety network and what is not. The other thing, though, is that as we are moving into a green economy, into a renewable energy economy, we also have to ask the question of who is included and how. Because it is very possible that we're going to have a very thriving renewable energy economy that employs the same categories of people, white males, for example, as opposed to people of color, women, immigrants, and so on. So just transition also applies to the world that is coming. How is the international and global community, I think, contributing to setting precedents and standards so that we can hold businesses and these individual, maybe private industries accountable? That's a very important question, and I, I will discuss the two levels. I think it's very important for us to ask, first of all, whether a just transition policy, whether in Canada or in Scotland or in Colorado, covers the whole fossil fuel industry and all industries that we think are affecting the environment and climate in particular. And if those policies uh, focus only on coal, for instance, which is commonly the case, then we have to ask the question, why is natural gas not included? Why is oil not included? Where are we going to go with that? I think that we need to ask those communities, those countries, and also the global climate negotiations to include all fossil fuels. In terms of global policy, I mean, there are other very important global policies on biodiversity, on toxics, that questions of just transitions also emerge. But climate is so big and so existential that one could say if we can include specific just transition implementation goals, mitigation mm. and adaptation goals in the global climate policies, that's really going to have a momentous impact uh, on the whole world because of the nature of the issue. So for many people, the next goal, the people that international trade union organizations and environmentalists, their primary goal is to move beyond the preamble of, let's say, the Paris Agreement, beyond the Katowice Declaration that was adopted by 55 countries in Katowice at the COP there in 2018, to actually including specific provisions in the rule book, specific provisions in the climate agreements. There is a debate going on about whether we should be using the market, like cap and trade or, or taxes or some other mechanisms. I do not have an answer to this particular thing, but the point that most people who are in favor of just transition make is that just transition has to be a public policy for the common good rather than a private policy or even a segmented city policy. Hi, my name is Todd Honors Johnson with Van Salem, and you're listening to 90.5 CCSU Fort Collins. 
Now on to national news. Jackson, Mississippi has had water system issues for a long time. And now, after recent rains, the city doesn't have enough water to fight fires, flush toilets, or even bottled water to hand out to residents. On Monday, the National Guard was called in to distribute 700 bottles of water to residents. They were supposed to be at the airfield for three hours, handing out water, but were only there for two, before they ran out of water and had to turn many people away, according to CNN. CNN found that there are a couple of reasons behind why the city's water system is failing. The main system's pumps were damaged early within the summer, which increased the risk of failure. Mississippi's governor said in the CNN article that the second cause was due to the flooding of the Pearl River, which affected the system's treatment capabilities. Due to this lack of water, Mississippi has now declared a state of emergency, according to CNN. There are now 18,000 monkeypox cases in the U.S., according to the CDC. And the first death of monkeypox has now been reported in Texas. Texas state officials said that the man was severely immunocompromised. Officials then said it's too early to determine the role monkeypox played in the man's death, according to CBS. In other news, the U.S. received a shipment of baby wipes at the U.S.-Mexico border, This week, that turned out to actually be a shipment of cocaine, according to CNN. Within the article, they said the U.S. Border Patrol had sent the shipment that was supposedly transporting baby wipes through a second inspection. And this is when they found out the shipment was truly cocaine. The trailer was transporting 1,935 packages of cocaine that weighed about 1,533 pounds across the border. A proud boy who was at the front of the mob at the January 6th insurrection has now been sentenced to four years and seven months in prison. Joshua Pruitt was just seconds away from the Senate majority leader at the time, according to CNN. The judge, Timothy Kelly, in Pruitt's case said that he snapped our previous unbroken tradition of peaceful transition of power, according to CNN. Artemis One was originally set to launch early this week, but has now been rescheduled due to issues that emerged during countdown. NASA was unable to fix a temperature problem in one of the rocket's four liquid engines, according to CNBC. The rocket is set to take a month-long journey around the moon that will serve as a test run. Eventually, the NASA Artemis mission will bring astronauts back to the moon, almost 50 years after the first mission, according to CNBC. Thank you for listening to my national news updates. Now on to CSU Sports with Eliza Drotar. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. In women's soccer, the team went 2-1, and one, winning the first game to start the season against Utah Tech, a loss to Utah State, and a win this weekend against South Dakota. They'll be playing later this week on Sunday against Southeast Missouri here in Fort Collins. In cross-country, the team is heading up past the border to Wyoming for the Wyoming Invite hosted by University of Wyoming. In men's football, the season begins this Saturday against Michigan in Ann Arbor, and fans can watch it nationally on ABC starting at 10 a.m. In women's volleyball, the team started their season 2-0, and facing off against the North Carolina Tar Heels with a win in four sets, 3-1, and facing off against UC Santa Barbara the next day with another four-set win, 3-1, in both games losing that third set only. Their next match will be against University of Northern Colorado on Tuesday here at Moby Arena. If you're interested in student tickets for volleyball, football, soccer, and more, go to csurams.evenu.net to get your student tickets.
My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report. I'm Portia Cook with your Fort Collins weather forecast for today, Thursday, September 1st. Except for a few clouds, today was mainly warm and sunny with a high of 94 degrees. Tonight, you can expect a low of 62 with the possibility of stray showers and thunderstorms. Friday, expect partly cloudy skies in the afternoon with a high of 94 and a low of 59 with moderate winds. As for Saturday and Sunday, you can expect sunny, clear skies with highs in the mid-90s and lows in the mid-60s. For next week's weather, you can tune in for the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 FM KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with your KCSU News Report. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damian Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guest today, our news producer, Reese Granger, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Portia. And I'd like to thank you, Kira. And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listener, thank you. If you missed any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under news or podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time.